Welcome to the SpoiledMind.com podcast. Hear more about psychology, philosophy, and oh, sex. Let's be real with your host, Ben. Hello and welcome to another episode of Spoiled Mind Podcasting. I have a very exciting guest today. It's Elizabeth and that's going to be straight away to you. So can you tell me a bit about you? Uh, sure. Um, I'm a PhD student in sociology and I study gender and sexuality, uh, specifically focusing on sexual identities and stigma against um, non-normative sexual identities. So bisexual people, people who identify as sex or love addicts, um, that kind of thing. So I'm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that sounds very interesting. Like, so like y you mentioned quite a lot of stuff. Like y you have like anything you really focus on at the moment or you're in general really passionate about? Yeah, so I mentioned those um, statuses. I, I look at sexual identities that are stigmatized. So I focus on essentially non-heterosexual people um, who are maybe not in monogamous committed relationships. So people who maybe the majority of society would say are not quote unquote normal, they're not following the norms. Mm -hmm. Well, like, like there, there are already numbers, how many people in US like that? Or is it like more like, so is it like, is the interest of in this field coming from the public? Is it from the government? Or who's the driver? Who wants to know about that stuff? Yeah, um, sexuality is still really an understudied um, topic in the social sciences in general. So even in sociology departments across the country, uh, there's not a lot of sexuality scholars, and it's harder for them to publish in peer-reviewed academic journals. So um, it's become a topic of study since the 1980s, 1990s. This is around when queer theory started coming into the academy. Um, and we said, we actually do need to study gender. And it's not just women who are gender, right? We need to study what gender is, what sexuality is, what sex is, which are all three different things. Mm. Um, so there, there has been an increase in those studies, but there's still so much that hasn't been studied. And it's not really taken as seriously in the discipline as, say, studying the economy or politics. Um, so there's still a lot of work to be done in studying sexuality, especially stigmatized sexuality, because these are things that are still seen as being maybe less than academic, um, even though we want to know what people are doing and we want to give them accurate information and mm. we want to give them resources if they need them. So uh, sexuality is still very much understudied, but there's still a lot more that we could and should find out about it. Mm -hmm. So, like, I mean, definitely over time, like, it improves. There are more people, like, care about it. Mm -hmm. So y you, if you tell someone that you, you're, you're doing, like, your PhD in that topic, what's they think? What's they respond to you? Or how is the feedback in general? When I say that I study sexuality, people usually think that there's something about me that makes me want to do this kind of research. And, and you do see some of that. People do research on the topics that they're interested in. So they could identify with the people that they're studying. And sometimes I identify with the people I'm studying. Sometimes I don't know much about who they are, what they do. Um, but I, yeah, I 
I think people think that, okay, you just are kind of a pervert and you want to study sexuality and, mm. you know, you must be the kinkiest person ever. Yeah, <laughs> so. that's kind of funny. So, but like, you, so you think it's more coming from like an educational perspective that you study that and that you just find a niche for yourself or do you have like a personal experience with like any kind of like like I wouldn't call it weird sexuality but like mm -hmm. any personal references from your own past where this topic was probably triggered or was it purely educational yeah I mean I would say when you study society you study people there's always going to be some aspect of you have to be interested in that and it's not purely educational you have to be you know and everyone has a sexuality mm -hmm. so um, I think that I first became interested in knowing about sexuality and people's sexuality um, in middle school or maybe even high school. This is when people are going through puberty and sex is a big deal. Mm. And I had friends who started to come out as bisexual or um, gay or lesbian. And at the time, not many people were coming out as trans or any you know kind of gender or sexual identity besides you know bisexual or gay or lesbian. But even that at the time um, was taboo and still is taboo and so I couldn't understand why it was such a big deal that these people were attracted to the same sex or you know the same sex and the quote-unquote opposite sex they're, they're attracted to men and women I, I couldn't understand why people care about what other people do in their bedroom if it's consensual and you know it's communicative and right so and in the US we have this long history of you know homophobia mm -hmm. and so Growing up, going to high school and college, it was illegal for same-sex marriages across the country, right? It wasn't federally legal. And I grew up in, in California, which is pretty liberal. Mm -hmm. And so um, Prop 8 was a big deal on same-sex marriage in, the, in California. And Prop 8 passed, right? So we did, as a liberal blue state, ban same-sex marriage because people still care about those things, right? Mm -hmm. And now more than half the country is in favor of same-sex marriage, and it is legal, federally but i just couldn't understand why we're restricting people with laws even right not only are these people more likely to get assaulted in the streets or be disowned by their parents be in poverty right but we're actually telling them what they can and can't do we can't we're telling them they can't love one another and get married mm -hmm. and i just couldn't understand why so it came mostly from an interest in other people because i kind of grew up with a normal middle class suburban life and thought oh, i'm heterosexual that's it just find a boyfriend at some point mm -hmm. um and growing up and studying sociology i realized that sexuality is a lot more complicated right so i was always confused as to why people cared what other people did if they weren't hurting each other mm -hmm. so you you do have like a sexual stigma or like a anything you care most about or is it like hey what? Or um, can you tell me first, okay, what yeah. is this sexual stigma? Like, what would people understand under? Sure. So, I talk about, and, and sociologists conceptualize stigma in a certain way. Um, there's a, a sociologist named Irving Goffman who wrote about stigma, and he talked about different kinds of stigma. There's racial stigma, right, or tribal stigma is what he called it. So, if you're a member of a certain group, there's, uh, you know, you can have stigma from that, a racial group or a sexual group, right, sexual orientation. Um, you could be stigmatized against because of your character, because of the person that you are, um, or you can be, you know, stigmatized because of your behavior. And so um, when we talk about sexual stigma, we're talking about you can perceive that you're stigmatized, right, and maybe there aren't actually people who are treating you differently. So maybe you're not being discriminated against, right? But these things are really hard to actually pinpoint when they're happening in real life. So we do know 
that some sexual stigma can take the form of, say, um, discrimination in the workplace, right? So people maybe harass you or maybe you don't get a job because of your sexual orientation. Uh, it could be people talking about you um, as you walk by and hold the hands of your partner who is the same sex as you. Uh, it could be any kind of idea or sense that these people are doing something wrong or they're abnormal. Mm. Um, so stigma in the sense that this is not normal and it's bad. We usually associate stigma with something bad, right? Otherwise, it's just different and not. Yeah, no, that w that's so. interesting that you say. So, like, I mean, basically, just as a non-native English speaker, like a stigma is like, oh, you, you hear about, okay, they're gay and they're probably, so you, you're immediately probably saying, okay, they're soft people, they're not a real man. So that's probably a stigma, that, that gay people are, like, not woolly masculine. Right. So, like... In, in that case, like, as you just said a second ago, so normally it's like, like with a bad um, idea behind it. So are there, like, would you say, like, some stigmas are true? Or is it basically just the problem that there are stigmas in general where it's the same thing for normal people? Oh, he, he is uh, working in this area, so just putting a stigma on it. Yeah, so I'd say stigma generally doesn't do anything productive. It doesn't do anything good. So if we think that people are engaging in behaviors that are harmful in some way, stigmatizing them isn't the solution, right? So if we as a country think that sex addiction is real, for example, and there's mixed um, results when we pull people and we survey them and say, do you believe in sex addiction? Most people say no. They usually think that celebrities are just making these things up to excuse their bad behavior. Mm. I'm a sex addict, so I assaulted somebody, right? So if we think, and, and there are people who genuinely think that they're sex addicts and go seek help in 12-step programs or um, with professionals or go to treatment centers. And I would say if we think that sexual addiction is a real problem and say these people are hurting themselves or others, stigmatizing them isn't going to help them resolve those behaviors. They're mm -hmm. going to continue doing what they're doing unless they get help and resources and people trying to understand them. So I don't see stigma ever being the answer, even if we can all agree or most people can agree that this behavior is bad. And historically, we've stigmatized people who are different than the norm. So there's mm -hmm. power in, able, in being able to say that, right? And being able to say, up until 1973 in the U.S., uh, homosexuality was considered a mental disorder. It was in the DSM, which is the manual that psychiatrists use to diagnose people with mental illnesses. Mm. So it's no longer in the DSM because the culture, people in society said, no, homosexuality is not a mental disorder. It's just people who like the same sex. They're not hurting anybody. There's nothing inherently wrong with it. If you look back historically, people have liked all kinds of things sexually, right? Not usually in the US, but elsewhere. So there's nothing inherently wrong with being homosexual, but we stigmatize them. And then what happens is the government finds these people and we have, you know, Stonewall riots in 1969. We had, even before that government was looking after people in the McCarthy era, people were being blacklisted for even being thought of as being gay or homosexual. So there's all kinds of bad consequences for stigmatizing people, even if we think that they're doing something wrong. There are other ways to approach it if we want to actually cause the change that we want to see. So, so what do you think is the biggest stigma and the biggest problem we, we have nowadays in our society? Oh, man. <laughs> Always difficult to, to spotlight. I mean, that's not Just the biggest, one. but there's... Yeah. I, or yeah. top three if you have so many. There are lots. Yeah, it's, it's hard to know. So we've... We've addressed same-sex marriage in the sense that we've allowed access to 
to marriage for same-sex couples. They still can't really adopt in some places, uh, mm-hmm. in some parts of the country, or um, they still have they're still discriminated against in their workplaces. They're still unable to buy certain goods from certain companies because they're allowed to uh, discriminate against them for their sexual orientation. We've now talked about this as this is the freedom of speech, right, or freedom of religion. I can because of my religious beliefs, I don't want to make this cake for this gay couple who is getting mm-hmm. married. Um, and that's still a problem. So there's still there's still inequality. And I would say not just for uh, lesbian or gay people, but for anyone who's not heterosexual. Mm. I'd say that there's still, you know, very clear instances of, of discrimination and a lot of not so clear ones that we can't always pinpoint. But, you know, you don't know if you got that job or you didn't get that job because you were gay or because you just yeah. weren't qualified. So we still have lots of inequality that way. So um, and when it comes to. I mean, sex addiction is a big thing right now because of celebrities coming out and saying, I couldn't help myself, I was an addict. And so I think talking about sexuality and teaching our children about sexuality in an age-appropriate way and a way that's not stigmatizing sex in general or uh, making them feel ashamed of their bodies, I think is necessary for us to create a society and a culture that um, that is less stigmatizing and that supports people and wants them to to be happy regardless of who they have sex with or you know how they have sex with them within certain reasonable limits right again you know consent is important mm. right so it's it's hard to pick one topic no i think but... i think you you already did pretty pretty well i think okay. yeah stigmas against homophobics or not homophobics but homosexual people is probably one of the big topics um as many others so like coming to another topic like for example like i mean in so sorry uh, so so social sociology i I love difficult words (laughs) so like you're working closely together with other departments or other people in 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 the phd like for example like a topic i i am very interested is is gender equality Mm -hmm. i mean like uh, i I, from my personal side call myself a a feminist but it's also like it's it's a totally different topic and don't want to go too much now in feminism but it's a very interesting topic too yeah. um but w- what's your about your personal like opinion or maybe even with your your um educational background about gender equality is like i mean is it an issue why and how we can solve it yeah <laughs> you got really big questions um and and i want to say to sociologists Um, most of the time are not giving policy implications. We're not saying, hey, here's some laws that can be created or changed to to cause actual change. Some sociologists don't think that we should influence change in society. We should just report about what's going on. Mm. And I I feel like we should make changes if we think that there are problems. And I think gender inequality is a big social problem. And it is global. It's not just in the U.S. But there are measures that we use um, to you know, for different countries to assess gender inequality, and the U.S. has some of the highest rates of gender inequality in the developed world, right? The global North, right, and comparable countries in Europe and whatnot. So it's a problem everywhere. It takes different forms in different places, right? So the patriarchy that we experience in the U.S. is not the same as the patriarchy that you might experience in the U.K. or um, France or Germany or. Um, you know, Vietnam or South Africa, right? Mm -hmm. So in the U.S., I would say, because that's what I can speak to, that's most of my research, um, we we still do have a lot of indicators that 
the sexes are not equal. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people who believe that the gender wage gap is a myth, right? And so it's hard to even convince students in my classes when I'm teaching them, and I am a woman, so they're more likely to question what I say, you know, compared to if I were a male professor. And they say, wait, I've read this article that says a gender wage gap is a myth. And I say, well, first, where'd you read that article? Where is it from? Is it, you know, are they using good sources? But we do have data that show that on average, women in the U.S. make 80 cents for every dollar that a man makes, right? Mm. And when we get into the racial differences, right, women of color compared to white women compared to white men, then we see even more differences, right? So the wage gap is one aspect of gender inequality. And we see that Hispanic women, Latino women are paid less than any other racial group. Mm. So they make something like 54 cents to a white man's dollar, right? So that's one huge indicator. It's so funny. Like, I mean, like, we we talked before when we had dinner before about, like, okay, there are still some people in in U.S. who, I mean, like, everywhere in the world, probably, uh, who believe the the world is flat. Or some people who, like, uh, what was the other thing? Oh, what did we say? Oh, like, oh, who believes that there is no climate war, uh, global warming is, is not real. So, like... In some areas, like gender equality, there's always people and people who probably have an audience who just say, hey, there is no problem with gender equality. But in my opinion, I am totally agree with you. Like even when people say, hey, it's getting better or we equal, there are so many topics where where it's not true. And like even in Europe, I just can say for, for my professional background, like even in, in the IT, there's more and more like... Um, projects where they really like emphasis like okay there should be like more women in their in the works not in the works console but like in the higher manager positions mm-hmm. or like that they do more reports about diversity reports and stuff like that right so but at the end if we break it down it's simply often not there it's like so many stuff so you you mm. think the main problem is just because some people still fight for like the wrong side i mean like i don't i I don't think there's a lobby behind it or or like people but like what what could be the interest in people or maybe they feel attacked to their masculine things but what do you think is why yeah so that's another complicated so all these things are really complicated right there's no one answer to any of these questions yeah so why is it that we still have gender inequality and have we made progress yes we have made progress um i saw a figure that if we continue going at this rate, women will achieve uh, wage parity with men by the year 2159, I think. So in a hundred or so years, <laughs> right, if we keep going at this rate. And uh, th- we've slowed down on some of the progress that we've made, right? Women are making more than they were, say, in the 1960s and 19, you know, 70s. Um, but, but we have seen instances where we have different administrations come in. So... Um, political leanings of the country matter. It kind of swings back and forth between liberal and conservative mm. um, people who are elected, but also the way that the society is voting and, and feeling. And so um, I think that as Americans, we really want to believe in the American dream. We want to believe that hard work will get you exactly what you want and deserve. And so we think if there are people that are homeless, there are people that are poor, they're just not working hard enough, right? So the people who are earning the money that they want to earn and working the jobs they want to work, have a vested interest in saying, yeah, the system works because I've made it work, right? It works for me. And it seems from their perspective that things are fair, 
right? And this isn't to say that they didn't work hard, but we know, you know, white men are more likely to get promoted than any other group, right? Mm. And even in a feminine occupation like nursing, we see men ride the glass escalator is what we call it, uh, which means that they're more likely to get promoted even though they're the minority numerically, right? And so, yeah, so there's a vested interest on the part of people in, you know, in dominant groups. Um, But there's also this just deeply held belief that I will eventually one day, if I don't have that now, be able to get that American dream. And so we want to believe it. We want to put in the hard work and we want to achieve things on our own. Right. And we we survey people. We always have this uh, this culture of poverty kind of explanation that people who are poor just want to be poor. They don't want to work hard. They just want handouts. Mm. And they want people and and research shows that's not true. Most people who are poor would love to have a job. They would love to have a home. They would love to have, you know, if they don't have a home, they would love to have all those things and they would love to work to get those things. So we have a vested interest as Americans to continue um, believing this ideology and hoping that one day we will achieve that American dream if we haven't already. Um, So I think that and I think that there are politicians in power who who do know that there is a wage gap and that it's real and who do know that there are more, for example, white men in uh, positions of power, like in government, like CEOs on top corporate boards, right? Forbes 500 companies, the CEOs are almost all men. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are seeing more women in these positions than in the past. So we are making progress, but it's really slow progress. And we sometimes take two steps forward as a country and then take mm. two steps back. Or we, so. you, you think it's like the, the, the task of the government to, to, to drive this issue and to maybe find solutions and like, yeah, in general, just improve it? Or you think like it's, it's a task of, um, well, the companies um, and, and from economically driven, or you're seeing... I mean, like, I, I see the three sides. So mm-hmm. we had government, we have now, like, an economical perspective or the, the companies itself. Mm-hmm. Um, or you think it's already in the mindset of every human being, um, like, maybe just, like, on the, like, how we raise our children, that, like, a man on, on the workplace is better than a woman or, like, a, a woman is there to, to raise kids and stuff like that. So, like, from, a, I, I would call it, like, yeah, like the, the mass social aspect, I don't know. Yeah. So w- which task it would be? Or would it be everyone should take a, a little piece of the cake and just make it better and put more sugar in it? Yeah, more sugar and spice and everything nice. Um, yeah, I think that it is a task of everyone. I think that even if individuals raise their children to believe that everyone is equal, regardless of gender or sex, I believe even if corporations were to... Um, change their policies. I think that we have to have the government on board to be able to enforce the policies. And we do have anti-discrimination policies, right? You have, um, it is illegal to discriminate against someone for a job or anything else based on their gender mm-hmm. or their sex and or their race or any other kind of status that they have. So the problem comes with, do we ever enforce it? The answer is usually not. And when those cases do go to like a labor board or something, it's really hard to prove that discrimination is happening. And you went to this thing about individuals, right? So um, socialization is important and it does matter. And we often go to what do the parents do? How do the parents Mm -hmm. raise their children? And psychologists will especially focus on the parents and the family unit and how that affects the child. And that is important, right? It's very important. But what's maybe even more important to sociologists is 
how did those parents get the messages, right? They got it from their parents. So there's a generational effect. And there's also a cultural effect, right? We do have the laws that we have. We do have the culture that we have. We have media that reinforce these ideas that men are better than women, that they're smarter, that they should be, you know, if you see a doctor on TV, more often than not, it's a male doctor, right? Mm-hmm. And it's more often a, ma- a white male doctor than any other kind of male doctor. Mm-hmm. So it, I don't think it can happen with just one of those kind of groups working together. I think that it has to be all of them working together. And and, you know, there are there are corporations who do pay, um, you know, good wages and who try to make sure that men and women are getting paid the same for the same job. And things like having transparency laws where people make their salaries public. And, and you know, in the U.S., I don't know how this is anywhere else, but in the U.S., we think of this as a big no-no. We don't talk about money. You especially don't talk about how much money you make. And you don't tell your coworkers how much money you make. And what happens then is companies can... Yeah, can just, do whatever they want, and we don't know. Uh, so, you know, there there has to be all levels working together. And we can't just look at individuals and, and, you know, whether they're employers or parents or politicians and say, these are the individual people who are doing this. No, this is something that's been going on for thousands of years, mm-hmm. right? I would say for most of human history, most societies are patriarchal, right? Male-dominated. Yeah, And so there are some matriarchal societies but not many and not very large societies so there's something that's going on that's beyond just this family or that corporation or the government today right this mm. is these are long-standing social patterns that have gone on throughout most of human history yeah i'm quite happy like maybe not it's not in germany to be honest but like i, I don't know if it was in denmark or norway where you actually have a law and every every year um, you see how much your neighbor earns. You just need to to search in the database, like for the name, and then you exactly see how much they earn and how much tax they pay. And mm-hmm. I think that's super transparent. Or like in Iceland, uh, I think it's law that it's forbidden um, to pay women less than men. I mean, obviously there there are some countries who who do really well, but well, let, let let's see how that goes. I'm really excited about that topic. But um, so, like, the last topic I would like to to talk about um, would be like uh, there's a lot of movement with um, intersex and transgenders and stuff like that. So, if, like, in, I I think it was actually in Germany where in one of the earliest forms or I can't remember where but there was a law where they the first time in history they allow like a cert um, um, a cert sex so it's not neither a man neither a woman it's like or intersex um, so like I mean like in, in your studies or is that also a topic like having or talking about intersex people or transgender yeah, so these are topics that are becoming more popular in, in academia. And, and I would say the larger culture is talking about transgender issues a lot, especially. And, you know, the U.S. is still pretty torn on bathroom laws, or at least parts of the country are talking about bathroom laws, who should be able to go into what bathrooms. Um, so it is a big deal. I would say that intersex receives a lot less um, attention. And I'd say they're both mostly un- misunderstood by the mass public. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would like to start by saying what they are, um, so that oh yeah, so that your I audience knows. That. Yeah. So first, sex. We're t- when we're talking about biological sex, we're talking about uh, people are assigned a sex at birth, usually male or female, right? And that's based off of usually just external genitalia. So what we can see from um, 
um, a, uh, from a sonogram or an ultrasound or what we can see from when the baby is born, right? We usually have find out the gender within, I don't know, now it's something like five weeks or something. You can find out the mm-hmm. sex. It's not really the gender. We think it's a gender, but we're talking about sex, right? Biological sex. So they're just looking, do they see a penis or do they see what looks like a vagina? And then they say, here's the sex of your baby. Well, so sex is more than just external genitalia. Mm-hmm. It's also chromosomes. So usually XX or XY. Um, But there are also people who have different chromosomes. So this is where we get into intersex, where these individuals might have um, XXX chromosome or XXY chromosome. So they have three chromosomes or um, they're otherwise not XX or XY, right? There's all kinds of different chromosomal variations that I'm not an expert on. But, but, uh, But so, so chromosomes, genitalia, and hormones, right? So we all have different levels of, of testosterone in our body and estrogen. And the, the process of converting um, these t- these testosterone and estrogen in the brain is pretty similar for everyone. But for people who are intersex, there's some kind of what we would consider a mismatch between their chromosomes, right? Their sex chromosomes, their external genitalia, and their internal organs or their hormones, right? So intersex people are not classified as male or female. They're something else, right? They're not biologically fitting into these two categories. So if we were to categorize someone as male, they would have XY chromosomes, penis, right? Testes, um, and more testosterone, right? Women with X, X chromosomes, we would say that they have a vagina, they have ovaries, and they have more estrogen, right? So intersex people can have some kind of combination of external genitalia, chromosomes, right, that don't fit into either of those two categories. So that's just biology, right? And most people are classified as one of those two. And later in life, some of these people, um, they might find out that they have internal um, testes or gonads, right? They might have, um, that haven't descended, right? So they might be categorized as female at birth, but later find out, actually, this person has internal testes. So now what? So so that's all biology. Sex is just biology. Mm-hmm. Gender is the social characteristics, the way that people present themselves, the way that people interpret them, the way that individuals think of themselves and their brains. And so usually we classify gender to be masculine or feminine, whereas sex, we'd say male or female, mm-hmm. right? So the big part is that even that is not all there is, right? There's more than two genders as well. So people who are transgender don't identify uh, with the gender that they were assigned. They were assigned a sex, right? So if you were assigned female at birth, we say that you should be feminine, right? You should maybe wear dresses, you should do makeup, you should do your hair a certain way, you have to act a certain way, right? Um, so that's gender. And so someone who's transgender doesn't identify with the sex that they were assigned at birth. So if I was assigned female at birth and I feel maybe more masculine, then I might identify as transgender. I'm beyond the traditional categories of gender, right? So trans just means beyond. So someone who's transgender maybe has surgery to look like the sex that they want to look like or the gender that they want to look like. They might not, right? They might identify as male or female or maybe none of those, right? So they could be somewhere else. They could be androgynous. Right. So trans can be used as an umbrella term to mean someone who does not fit into the traditional here's your sex and then here's yeah. your gender. Yeah. Interesting. So like um, other like you, you think there are more people like finding out about themselves like I mean especially transgenders we, we heard a couple like I mean also some probably uh, very popular cases I think in US was what was the name again of this one person? 
Uh, Caitlyn Jenner? Yeah. Are you going to talk about Caitlyn Jenner? Or, or were there other popular people, transgender, where it was publicly, hey, uh, they feel, but their their sex, their sex, if I understand, is was male. She was, a fe- like, male or female? So, yeah. So, Caitlyn Jenner was assigned male at birth. Yeah. Bruce Jenner, right? And uh, then yeah. she, at the time, yeah, she felt like a woman her whole life. I'm going to use she because she wants feminine pronouns. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, she felt like a woman her whole life and didn't feel like she could come out until, I don't know, 65 years old or something. So I think that's probably the the biggest case of someone coming out publicly as transgender and then transi- transitioning in public. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are other transgender uh, people who are in the, the, the spotlight. Um, there's Laverne Cox, who is on Orange is the New Black. There's Chaz Bono, who is um, the child of, of Sonny Bono. I don't know if he does anything acting or anything so there are some you know popular cases but yeah. you think there are more people who start or being like more self-acceptance to say hey like i don't feel like that and right. let, let let me let me get get this out or like because i think in the past you probably would say hey like the people just like i can't do that like i, yeah. I get I get punished, I, I lose my job, maybe my family or my yeah. my husband or wife don't accept that anymore or whatever. So, like, yeah. is it just like that the society gets maybe probably more open-minded about it? Or is it, sim- or is it maybe like, uh, I don't know, statistics about like, okay, there are probably more people who, who, who just feel different. Yeah, I think that it's... I think that these people have always existed, and I would say even statistics on how many people identify as intersex or transgender, I think misrepresent just how many people probably do but aren't out about it or don't know about their intersex traits. Mm. So there are a lot of people who don't know that they're intersex because, do you know your sex chromosome? I don't know my sex chromosome. Yeah, nobody has their chromosomes tested, right? So um, so as far as transgender, yeah, I think that, and I think non-normative sexualities or sex or gender identity, I think... I think all of them have become more acceptable over time. I think there's more visibility um, because of celebrities, but also because the culture is changing. You know, the the sex liberation movement in the 1960s and 70s wasn't perfect. We're still pretty um, we're still pretty close-minded, I think, as a society when it comes to people who are different than what we've been told is the norm. Mm-hmm. And so, I do think that there are more people coming out, and there's more acceptance of that. And I'm I'm optimistic that future generations are going to care less and less about gender identity and just say hey do whatever you want to do you know mm-hmm. have sex with whoever you want to have sex with uh you know present yourself however you want to present yourself and so yeah i do i do see that there are more people identifying that way i don't think that there's an increase in the number of people who are actually transgender or intersex i think it's just more visible now mm-hmm. and more acceptable so people are coming out about it whereas they hadn't in the past you think in, in that case uh, to to have a last question you think there are also more people who probably dropped the concept of being monogamous um <laughs> yes yes i do think so um yeah i think i think ethical non-monogamy has become more popular over time um i think our parents generation coming out of you know world war ii the baby boomers um they had to reproduce the population, right? People died in the war, at least in the U.S. Um, we had this traditional kind of family life. We have, you know, for at least for white people, mm-hmm. right? Um, so the, the government built infrastructure. We built the suburbs, right? People are now living the leisure lifestyle. People are having middle class. This is where the middle class boomed, right? And so this kind of perfect 
leave it to beaver family, this traditional nuclear family is no longer the norm in this country, right? We have a lot of blended families. We have um, people who are who have children who are not married. We have people who are getting married who are not having children, right? So um, non-monogamy is another trend that I'm seeing um, and there's research on that. And again, there can always be more research on that. Mm. But I do think people are questioning the traditions that their parents kind of just took for granted as we have to do this and this is the norm. And I think that they are kind of figuring out what works for them and they're not following the norms as much. So they're they're bucking tradition a little bit more than their, mm-hmm. than their parents. Cool. So that was uh, super cool. I, we, we're quite a bit over time. Okay. <laughs> But it was really awesome talking to you and, and hearing your, um, your background and your experience and your knowledge about that topic. Um, do you have anything you, you want to close up with a call and leave a message out there? Um, yeah, I want to say thank you for having me. And yeah, I want to reiterate that uh, the goal of most sociologists, at least, is to understand people and to not make value judgments about people's behaviors and to just try to understand what they're doing. And I would say if we as individuals had that perspective of let me withhold judgment, at least for a minute, understand this person's perspective why they feel the way that they do, what they do, you know, why they do what they do. And we just say, you know, is is the sex consensual? Are they communicating? Do they care about one another? Right? Even if it's for a night, right? If these are the case, if that's the case, then does it matter what they do when we're not looking, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, does it matter if the same sex couple is holding hands in public? How much does that hurt you or your family? So I would say if we could all as individuals just be a little bit more understanding and not just dismiss people for being different. I think that we could understand each other better and have a better world, as cheesy as that sounds. That's so cool. <laughs> I like that ending. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the SpoiledMind.com podcast. If you like it, leave me a rating or review. I can't wait to see you again. Mwah.